You're listening to the North Canton Chapel podcast. Thank you for joining us today. The North Canton Chapel exists to make much of Jesus every day to everyone. It's our prayer that this podcast will equip you to do just that. We believe that there's nothing like the church united together in gospel community. We'd love if you'd stop in and say hello in person if you're in our neighborhood. Our gathering times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Thank you again for joining us today. Let's listen in. Well, hi, my name is Alex Cook. I'm the student ministries pastor here at NCC. And for many of you, this is just a normal Sunday morning. But for me, this is truly a dream come true. You see, a little over a decade ago, God took this young punk kid and totally transformed his heart and transformed his life. And it's by the grace of Jesus Christ alone that I get to stand here today and talk to you. Um, I remember the first time that my wife and I, Casey, came to the North Canton Chapel. It was, um, you know, we had, were new to the community in North Canton. And we're like, hey, where, we, where can we get plugged in at? We came to the chapel. We sat in the back right row. And I looked up and just, I loved everything that was going on. And instantly, we looked at each other right after. And we said, this is home. This is where we want to be. So the fact that I get to stand here today and talk to you truly is the most humbling experience I've had. And I truly give glory to God. Um, Well, we are kicking off our Family Matters series this weekend, and I could not be more excited to talk to you about the family and the next generation. And this topic is something I'm very passionate about. As a youth pastor, I care about the next generation deeply, and I care about families deeply. Um, But I think that Before we go any further, it's going to be important for us over this next few weeks to have a working definition of what a family is and what a family is not. You see, family isn't this idyllic picture of leave it to Beaver with uh, with Ward and June and Wally and Beaver, just this utopian community, two parents, two kids, this, this, uh, this perfect little world, this perfect little family unit. And... Although I do love me some Leave It, Be- Leave it to Beaver, I really do. Um, that picture of the family was bogus back then, and it's even more bogus today here in 2020. So then, what does constitute a family? Is it, is it a mom, a dad, a son, and a daughter? Yes. Is it a mom and four kids and a live-in aunt? Yes. Is it a dad and a daughter? Yes, is a grandma, grandpa, and a grandson? Yes. But family is so much more than the definitions that our culture puts on it. You see, God's idea of family is much bigger than just a house with people living inside of it. And if you're watching this right now, you might be saying to yourself, ah, family matters series. Like, I'll check back in a few weeks. Like, family stuff is just not for me. Well, I promise you that you have just as an important role in this whole dynamic of God's family than anyone else. So stay tuned as we paint a picture of what the family is, why God values it, what it means for you and for the next generation. So if you would with me, if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open it right now. And we're going to jump in to see what God says about the family and about the next generation. We're going to be reading Psalm 78, 1 through 8. Um, And I want you just to read along with me um, with it on the screen. It says this, Give ear, O my people, to my teaching. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings from of old, 
things that we have heard and known that our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord in his might and the wonders that he has done. He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers to teach their children, that the next generation might know them and the children yet on board unborn and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and that they should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation whose heart was not steadfast, whose spirit was not faithful to God. So let's unpack this text. And I just want to give you three takeaways that I promise will be applicable to everyone watching this this morning. So I get pretty excited reading the scriptures. When I open up the Bible and I, and I see texts like this, um, it just gets me excited. It gets me excited when I read the word of God. And it's just like, man, this really uh, pumps me up to follow Jesus in new ways every time I open this up. And this, this passage is no different. And it, it almost reads like the beginning of a Lord of the Rings book. Um, I can almost hear the English accent of J.R.R. Tolkien um, kind of starting this off. It says, I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. And of course I'm joking, but do you see the seriousness? Do you hear the seriousness in the tone of this text? In fact, back up to just verse one. Do we see what Asaph, the author, says? What he's doing? He's saying, give me your attention. And not just once, but once more with a little bit more passion. He's saying, incline your ears to the words of my mouth. He's saying, Basically, what he's saying is, hey, listen up. This is really, really important what I'm about to tell you. And to Asaph and his audience, the next few statements are very serious and they're not to be taken lightly. And that's the same with you and I today. These are very serious and not to be taken lightly. So once Asaph establishes what he's about to say is really, really important, he actually tells the audience this. He says, I'm actually going to tell you something that you have actually heard before. And it's, it's something you actually know. And not only it's something you know, but it's, not, it's something you know very well. So what is he talking about? He's talking about the law. He's talking about the word of God. And in this beautiful crafted transition in verse 4, he moves from this kind of like stern intensity. He kind of brings in a little bit of intensity when he starts it off. But he moves it and begins to almost encourage them and remind them of their duty as mature believers, as the older, mature generation in the faith. He is saying, we will not only know the truths about God, but we will tell them to the coming generation. His glorious deeds, his might, and the wonders he has done. Church, if you have seen God do anything in your life ever, Asaph is talking to you and he's talking to me. But more on that in a bit. He goes on to say in verse 5 and 6 that God even commanded the fathers in the faith to teach their children so that the next generation might know God. This word command is really strong language. And, and, and it really means that this is a big deal. So when the God of the universe says um, he's commanding you to do something, like you listen up, right? This is, this is something very important not to be taken lightly. But I want to take a moment and just hit pause and hit time out just for one second. Because I want to see what are the repercussions of not investing in the next generation and not 
handing down an intact faith to the next gen. So we're going to we're going to kind of jump to Kings now and if you've ever had any interaction with the book of 1st and 2nd Kings um, there's there's a common theme throughout that, and we're going to be talking about that today. But basically, first and second book of Kings is exactly what it sounds like. It's a historical recording of all the kings of Israel after David. These books uh, record what the kings did well, but most commonly, these books record what the kings fell short on and how they failed to lead Israel as a nation. And using King David, God sets up. Um, as the, as like the first real like kingdom after after God, like a kingdom set up by God Himself to be the nation that all other nations sees and says that nation is marked by the worship of the one true God. So God sets up David, um, this powerful and great God fearing kingdom. But what we see starting as early as just one generation after David is this: the fast decline of Israel as a nation. And we see the dismantling of the worship of the one true living God. David was called a man after God's own heart. But towards the end of his life, even he failed at some level to raise up Solomon to be a godly king. And as a result, Solomon got caught up in bloodshed right out of the gate in his kingdom. And slowly but surely, we see Israel go from bad to worse until 300 years later, one of the kings named Josiah finds an ancient scroll that he's very unfamiliar with. And he reads it and he begins to tear his clothes and cry out. And it's really almost this, this sad picture when you first read it because it's like, what happened in those 300 years? What happened that a king would read the word of God for the first time and be totally unfamiliar with it? For it to have that impact on him because it was something brand new. Over these 300 years, God got marginalized and marginalized and marginalized, pushed to the side to something that was just totally forgotten. But in 2 Kings 22, it says this, For great is the wrath of Adonai, that is kindled against us, since our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do everything written here that concerns us. You see, Josiah reads the word of God and it deeply changes him. It changes his heart. And it's this beautiful, this beautiful moment where it's almost like this beautiful coming back to God. You see, Israel tears down the high places. They tear down the pagan idols and the pagan altars. And they even renew the covenants of God. But it doesn't even last that long because Josiah's son, Johaz, did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Barely even two decades later, it, it already crumbles again. This is the theme that continues throughout the book of, of First and Second Kings until finally Israel as a nation is um, they find themselves exiled into Babylon. Not only are they not a nation anymore, they're actually slaves to a pagan nation. So let's back up again. Let's back up to Psalm 78 and kind of finish this through. So back in Psalm 78, we see this. We see in verses 5 and 6 that Asaph is making a charge to teach the next generation. He sees what's happened in the past and he's making a charge to this generation to raise up the next generation. But he actually even takes it one step further. He's not even just saying, hey, um, we're going to raise up just this generation. He actually is talking about future generations because, you see, Asaph knows what happens when Israel just maybe talks about the things of God, but doesn't actually teach and equip 
the next generation. You see, there is potential for complacency to begin to creep in. And at the end of verse 6 and into 7, Asaph not only tells the current generation to teach the next generation, but he says, do it in a way that actually equips this next generation to equip the next generation. And for that generation, to equip the next generation. Now, this is a kingdom mindset when it comes to investing in the next generation. Not only thinking about the current generation, but the generations after them. Asaph finishes this little, this little piece of the psalm by reminding his listeners one key truth, one key last charge in the first eight um, verses of this text. He says, do not be like your ancestors who botched this thing. Don't be like the fathers of old who pushed God away and forgot about God. So the question is then, what's this mean for me? Right? You're probably asking this question, what does this have to do with me? Like, Alex, this is a cool story about kings. I didn't really know anything about that. Um, this is a cool story in uh, Psalms, really interesting stuff. But what does this have to do with me in 2020 with my family the way it is now, the people in my community that I'm surrounded with right now? What does this have to do with me? And I'm glad you asked this because, like I said before, I have three takeaways that I promise will be applicable to you. The first takeaway is this. Yes, this means you. You may be sitting here thinking, ha, I don't have kids, I don't have nieces, I don't have nephews, I don't have any interactions with anybody under the age of 18 at all, like I'm good. You may be sitting here thinking, I'm too old to be um, any good to the next generation. I don't know what these kids are doing. I don't know anything about teenagers these days or kids these days. You may be sitting here thinking, I just don't have enough time right now to invest in the next generation. Well, let me challenge you on something. It doesn't matter. God not only can and wants to use you, he's actually expecting to use you. So let's go back to our definition of family. God's family is all believers together anywhere and everywhere. Look back over Psalm 78. Asaph is actually talking about generations and not just like a nuclear family. We hear, we hear words like father and children, and, we, and we, we hear that throughout the biblical text, especially in the Old Testament. But if you really dig deep, Asaph is actually talking about generations. And what that means is this. It means this generation right here raises up that generation right there. It's not just talking about if you have kids, if you don't have kids, if you're, uh, um, if you're in charge of, of raising up a family or not. Like it, it's saying this, a generation raises up a generation. And if you're watching this video and have a pulse and have air in your lungs, then you fit into one of those categories that I just mentioned. Your responsibility is either to get taught, discipled, and equipped in the things of God, or you are the one doing the teaching, the discipling, and the equipping. And sometimes these even happen simultaneously. Luckily, God is more wise than any loophole we can find. And he has given all of us this responsibility. There's no way around this. And you may be thinking to yourself, because I can almost hear like even some of the excuses that I've used in my past. And maybe, maybe this sounds like something that you, you might hear right off the gate in your mind. Oh, you can't get around easily anymore. 
because you know your body's starting to fail, but you have a lot of time to have godly conversations and to lead a young person perfect. That's you. Oh, you're a pretty busy guy, but you like to play basketball? Guess who would be an amazing rebounder and just soak up every word you have to say? Oh, you have four kids, life is hectic, but would love someone to help, help out. Guess who has ample time and energy, yet that senior girl that lives right down the street? After all, a mailman who worked full time at the mail um, carrier post and midnights at Walmart made time for a young punk kid. It's because of him that I'm standing here today. So let's be the generation that God says, well done, you handed down an intact faith. Let's be that generation. Point number two, um, family is God's original plan for discipleship. So though God's family is all believers anywhere and everywhere, we can't ignore the multitude of biblical texts that talks about the family as uh, the family unit as the front lines of discipleship. If you're listening and you have kids, then God wants you to lead the charge in raising up the next generation right in your home. And parents, look right at me. Like, I know, I know this is really, really hard. I know this is hard. This is hard for me too. I have two little girls and one on the way. And sometimes at the end of the day, I'm just thinking to myself, I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no clue how to raise these girls. I don't know what I'm doing. Sometimes I feel the same thing you are feeling maybe today. And it's funny because yet I'm responsible to help tell parents how to disciple their children. I promise you, I'm in this just as much as you are. But let me encourage you with one thing. You don't have to have all of this figured out right now. You don't have to have this whole process figured out right now. The beauty of this process is it just requires one obedient step at a time. Just one obedient step at a time. So my encouragement to you is take that first step. Don't be afraid to take that first step. Even if you think, man, I haven't taken a step in 17 years, in 18 years, in 20 years. Take that first step today. It doesn't have to be this, this huge study through the book of Revelation, although maybe that would be cool someday. It can just be maybe setting down the phone and having conversations that point your son or daughter to Jesus. Maybe it's asking them, hey, what has God been doing in your life lately? Or better yet, maybe it's this, maybe it's an opportunity where you tell them what Jesus has done in your life so that they see firsthand God's actually moving in someone they know very well. That they see God is actually on the move in my own parent, my own guardian. Or maybe it's just even telling your children, like, hey, it's okay. Like, we got this together. I don't know everything. I don't know everything also. But let's take this first step together towards Jesus. Maybe it's setting up um, rhythms of margin in your household so that you can have time to live missionally. I know that's something for me that I struggle with in my household is to set up different margins in our day so that we can do the things that God is calling us to do on a dime. Having margin in our families to be able to have those conversations so we're not rushing around from one thing to the, to the next, but we have time to be intentional in the ways God wants us to be intentional. There isn't 
there isn't anything much better than for a child to be seeing their parent or their guardian live out the faith. Like for real, live out the faith. There's nothing that will affect a child's life more than that right there. So breathe, breathe. Discipleship in the home doesn't have to be complicated. It doesn't have to be this long drawn out process that seems impossible. It just has to be. It just has to be. You can do this. I know you can. I know that you can take even that small next step into discipling and pointing your kids to Jesus. I know you can do it. And I want you to know that the family ministry team, me, Sam, Judy, and everybody on our team, like we have your back. Just know if you guys are struggling, if there's something like, man, I don't know what to do next. We have your back. Reach out to one of us. We would love to walk through this with you together. We want to come alongside of you in any way possible. So takeaway number three. And this may be the most important takeaway. And it's this. We model the way first. It starts with us, guys. It starts with us. There is no way we could ever expect the next generation to just magically follow Jesus. Notice how I said we. Like I said before, I am in the same boat. I'm tired. I'm busy. And sometimes I just want to numb out and watch Netflix or watch the Indians play or just scroll. And those things aren't bad. But when they replace time with Jesus, red flags should start to go up. Do you know how many times in the morning I have said, I am so tired. I just don't think I can do my devotionals this morning. I don't think I can spend time with Jesus this morning. Maybe on my lunch break. Maybe later tonight. I'll get to that. And then it dawns on me. I'm so tired because the night before I stayed up watching Netflix till midnight. And what happens when I get too busy for God? Complacency creeps in, just like it did with past generations in Israel. But there is a better way. There's a better way for you, and there's a better way for me. And there's a better way for us as a community of believers, those who seek to follow Jesus every day. Deuteronomy 6, 5-9 through 9 says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gates. A life committed to Jesus. That's what that is, a life fully surrendered and committed to Jesus. The gospel of Jesus Christ should be everything to us. And when it is everything to us, guess what happens naturally? Discipleship, the raising up of the next generation. When Jesus is at the forefront of our minds, discipleship, mission, the Great Commission, all these things become the norm in your life. Christ is the head of all including your family, your affections, and your entire life. So as we close, I just have one thing to say. It's my last encouragement to you. Take this next step. Take your next step. Maybe it's realizing that you are part of God's family, this greater family called the church. Maybe that's you, and you've never realized that before. Maybe 
Um, it's the first time you realize that you have just as much to do with raising up this next generation as anyone else does. Whether you have kids or not, that's you, that's me. Maybe it's taking a step to change the trajectory of your family, not just to be a good family, but to be a gospel family. Telling your kids what Jesus has done in your life. Let that be your next step, it's easy. Maybe it's bowing the knee in full surrender, maybe for the first time ever in your life, saying above all else, I serve God and I love Jesus and my life is going to be marked by Jesus. Maybe it's taking that next step in your faith. Because I can assure you this, the next gen needs us to be who God has called us to be. Have you ever wondered what is my calling in life? Well, I can tell you at least piece of that. It's raising up the next generation because God has called us as a generation to raise up the next generation. You, me, your grandpa, your aunt, your neighbor, the person across the street, we're all in this together. So let us not follow the path as the complacent, um, the complacent generations of past, but let us be used mightily by God to raise up the next generation. God, thank you so much for this day. God, I just pray that, um, God, that you would just use this. God, I know that as families, Lord, it can be, it can be difficult following you sometimes, Jesus. But I, I just ask that you would impress on all of our hearts, God, to take our next step of faith in you to raise up this next generation, because it matters, God. It matters. It matters to us, but more importantly, it matters to you, God, and you've called us to do so as a generation. So God, please just implant in our hearts what is our next step. Maybe it's taking a step of faith. Maybe it's bowing the knee for the first time. Maybe it's taking steps in our families to be a, a gospel family over just a good family. Maybe it's just for the first time reaching out to you, God, and just asking, please, God, guide me. Please, God, show me what you want me to do, even if it's just something small today. So we ask this, God, that you would move in each and every one of our lives. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the North Canton Chapel Podcast. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please share this episode with your friends or spread the word on social media. If you subscribe and leave a five-star review, it goes a long way to helping us make much of Jesus every day to everyone who hears these podcast episodes. You can also donate to this ministry at ncchapel.com forward slash give. Thanks again for joining us. May you go out into your places and spaces making much of Jesus every day to everyone.